Today's installment of CU Anschutz 360 focuses on a collaboration that is yielding significant insights into potential triggers of early onset dementia. My name is Chris Casey and I'm the Director of Digital Storytelling in the Office of Communications. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Thomas Flagg, CU Anschutz Vice Chancellor of Research, who will co-host our discussion on this important research. We talk with two researchers at CU Anschutz. Diego Restrepo and Maria Nagel, who come from somewhat different worlds. Dr. Restrepo is a systems neuroscientist in the School of Medicine's Department of Cell and Developmental Biology. Dr. Nagel, meanwhile, is a neurology clinician and neurovirology researcher in the Department of Neurology. Their labs are teaming on Alzheimer's research, hoping their discoveries can lead to insights into the triggers or accelerants of Alzheimer's, as well as potential therapies for this devastating disease. First of all, could you just explain, both of you, what your different labs do? Yeah. So I study smell, and uh, I literally started, I went into the brain through the nose. I was interested in how the neurons in the nose respond to the odors, and very quickly it became interesting because it's a very complex system. So I started studying decision-making and learning and memory. And at the time I was doing work, in fact, I started with catfish. And then I started work with mice, and very quickly it became clear that it was important to the working humans because losses in the sense of smell happened very early on in Alzheimer's, in Parkinson's, and different diseases. And that's, that's how I became interested in Alzheimer's. Yeah, and um, so I uh, focus on varicella zoster virus, or VZV, and it causes chickenpox when you first get infected, and then it actually becomes dormant in your body. And more than 90% of the world population has this virus dormant. And then we think of it as flaring up when we're older and causing shingles or herpes zoster. And um, we think of it as a pretty benign disease. Oh, we just get a rash. But my lab focuses on this virus also causing strokes. And so that was the predominant research that my lab did is how does this virus get to the brain? How does it infect arteries and produce a stroke? And through our investigations, we just stumbled upon some proteins that this virus triggered that were involved in Alzheimer's disease. You know, before we dive into this really interesting conversation, and I'm really looking forward to this today, maybe you could make just a few comments about viruses in the central nervous system. I, mean, I think a lot of people as are listening to this think of a virus, think about upper respiratory tract infection, maybe about hepatitis or something more serious, but they may not think of viruses in the CNS sort of as their first thought. So what do you want to share about that and the interaction of viruses with the central nervous system? Yeah, something that's really interesting about olfaction, smell, is that the cells that detect the odors are neurons, and they are the one central nervous system neuron that's exposed to the mucus. And so it's exposed to viruses, and that is a direct route to the brain, which could be a big problem because of encephalitis. There's been a lot of interest in smell on viral infection as well because of loss of smell, which now is totally evident with SARS-CoV-2, but in the past it happened with influenza virus and, and other viruses. And for the general population, in terms of clinical neurology, what impact might, you mentioned shingles and VZV, but what other places might viruses be important in neurology? Yeah, so, um, so specifically for the neurotropic viruses, um, so I study varicella zoster virus and its sister virus, um, herpes simplex virus type 1, which produce cold sores. But these viruses actually reside in neurons throughout your body. And what's fascinating is that every single organ system 
has neurofibers connected to it. So these two viruses can actually flare up and hit every single organ system. So aside from entering the brain and causing stroke or causing seizures, these viruses can also affect the esophagus and cause difficulty swallowing, or it can affect the stomach, cause inflammation, and cause chronic stomach pain. So these latent viruses have these really interesting effects. And then as you know, there's other viruses that are not latent in our body that we can be exposed to, like West Nile virus and Zika virus. And some of these viruses also have some rare complications of being able to affect the brain or even the spinal cord causing weakness. So how did your disparate areas first intersect and what prompted this collaboration initially? So it was a random meeting in, this, in a neuroscience meeting in Fort Collins. Maria and Andrew Bubak had a poster and it was a fascinating poster on viruses and on the fact that viruses actually may be involved in Alzheimer's formation of amyloid. Amyloid is a protein that's found in the brain of Alzheimer's patients. And so we started talking about this and because of my interest in, in Alzheimer's, it became clear that we should try to understand whether the loss of smell, which happens very early on in, in Alzheimer's, which could be useful for, for diagnosis, for example, early diagnosis and treatment, could it be that the loss of smell is also a causative agent, or maybe that it accelerates Alzheimer's, the loss of smell by um, viruses, viral infection? Yeah, so, and I actually had a great time collaborating and discussing each other's projects with Diego after that meeting. And it was amazing to me. I had never had any intention of doing Alzheimer's research. But when Diego and I started talking about how smell loss is one of the early symptoms in Alzheimer's patients before they get demented, and what are the possible triggers that could cause this smell loss that may potentially accelerate Alzheimer's, then we were like, wait a minute, maybe VZV and HSV1, which resides in uh, the sensation neurons around the head, could potentially be a reservoir for the virus that would then enter the nose and affect the sense of smell. And it became very interesting also from the research point of view, because these neurons that are in the nose, we can actually biopsy. Our lab was the first lab to actually record from human olfactory neurons and to actually set up the cultures of human olfactory neurons. That is wonderful because you can do that from a patient that has Alzheimer's or control, and you can actually see what happens when you do the viral infection. One of the kind of important uh, aspects of this collaboration is that when you look at previous researchers' uh, reports, they were looking at end-stage Alzheimer brain when patients were already demented, and were looking for different bugs or pathogens that might be associated or seen more frequently in Alzheimer's brains by the time they're already demented. And Diego and I were thinking, well, maybe that virus contribution occurs very, very early on. So we might be able to detect infection and disruption of signaling to the brain from those smell neurons before patients are demented. And if our hypothesis that viruses can contribute to smell loss, thereby accelerating Alzheimer's, holds true, then maybe we could treat patients with early cognitive problems with an antiviral to prevent them from actually becoming demented. 
And the other thing that's fascinating is we knew about the work of Francisco Lopera, who had found families in Colombia that became uh, demented at about 45 years old, which is very early for Alzheimer's. So that's, that's called the familial Alzheimer's disease. So these are patients that you can actually study before they get Alzheimer's, and you know they're going to get Alzheimer's very early on. I mean, it's really fun to hear about the collaboration. And, you know, sometimes they say that the, the collaborators have the most different backgrounds come up with the greatest solutions and sort of greatest insights. And so you really do come at this from your different disciplines. In some ways, you had that first meeting and you decided that this was a, something that required more investigation. It almost becomes a detective story where you look at your sources and your evidence and how you're going to put those different things together. Is that the way you, you think about it? That's, that's correct. And you know why that, that is clear to me is because I teach the med school about Alzheimer's. I've been teaching for 20 years about Alzheimer's. At the beginning, I thought, in five years, I'm going to be teaching about the therapy. And that's not what I teach, and that's frustrating. Uh, there's been how many trials right yeah, now? like over 400 uh, drug trials that have all failed uh, for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and what happens is that the hypothesis then, 20 years ago, still modified, but about the same, is that it's amyloid that does it, amyloid or tau, and or tau. And there's been a lot of drugs that have been tested. What we thought is, you know, this is something that we can actually uh, look at and see whether this loss of smell through viruses actually accelerates Alzheimer's. You want to say a word about amyloid and tau and what those what those are kind of clinically or otherwise? Yeah, you could just think of them as um, proteins that, that we make, the humans make, that have misfolded. Uh, and form these aggregates. And these aggregates are toxic to the cells surrounding it, and they also cause inflammation. So if these aggregates form around neurons involved in memory, um, you can have loss of those neurons. And then as I was learning about the amyloid field, I was amazed that diabetes, um, adult onset diabetes, was also an amyloid disease where you have amyloid accumulating in the pancreas, contributing to the death of the cells that produce insulin. And uh, you find amyloid in the olfactory epithelium as well, in the Alzheimer's patients. And the epithelium is? The epithelium is the mucus. It's the mucus layer in the nose, inside the nose. And um, Diego, I've heard you refer to this, um, the biological area in which you concentrate your study is almost a railroad track to the um, cognitive center of the brain, if you will. Could you expound on that a bit? So, you know, we have five senses. And the interesting thing is that all of those, except for one, one exception, go through the thalamus. Thalamus is a central place in, in the brain, except for olfaction. So even when olfaction was first studied, Ramonica Howell thought it was going to the hippocampus and that the hippocampus was part of the olfactory system. Hippocampus is actually, we learned afterwards, it's important for learning and memory. It's the place that's affected in Alzheimer's patients. The olfactory system go, goes with a couple of what we call synapses, a couple of stops, goes all the way to the hippocampus. And the question has always been, why is that something different? So Lee Wei uh, Tsang from uh, MIT has shown that um, oscillations in the brain are important in Alzheimer's. They have a mouse model system and they actually think that flickering uh, the electrical activity in the brain actually decreases the cognitive problem. Well, this olfactory system, the olfactory bulb, actually is entraining 
the hippocampus. It's well known to be entrained the hippocampus through that railroad in oscillations. So one of the things in your collaboration that you've been studying the olfactory or the, the smelling system, if you will, in, in individuals that have Alzheimer's, and you've, you've identified as part of this, as I understand it, that there's been infection in the olfactory system. Do you want to talk more about that and what that leads you to next? Yeah. So um, what we did is when we talked about what to do, we uh, targeted the, uh, these families that get early Alzheimer's and controls in Colombia, and this is a collaboration with the neurologist there, uh, Dr. Francisco Lopera. And what we thought is we would actually see, look at the transcripts. These are what's called RNA transcripts. They're basically a string of letters that tells the cells how to make proteins like amyloid and see if it was different from Alzheimer's and controls. And so they sent us olfactory bulbs from postmortem patients. These are donations. And we did what's called a biospider analysis, which is an analysis of those RNAs. And we found they were very, very different. And the difference was really interesting in the olfactory bulb, which is the first part as you come into the brain through the olfactory system, the start of the railroad track. What we find is differences in viral responses. The Alzheimer's brains have signatures of viral responses. And then downstream in what's called the olfactory tract, the, the tract that goes over to the to hippocampus, it's inflammation. So basically what this is is a signature of viral infection that then produces inflammation. So it sounds like you're studying this in families that have a, a history of kind of early onset. So we're talking about viruses, which we think are kind of an environmental cause of something. If you look at families, there's a genetic, but is it the family's genetic response to the virus that you're looking so at? So at the beginning, the study with the familial Alzheimer's was more, mostly a control because we were not clear, and this is the interesting thing about this being a detective story, it was not that clear that, that the viruses were going to be important for, for those families. We thought it was going to be for the spontaneous Alzheimer's, which is, you know, the people who get Alzheimer's much later on. And it was not. And that, that made it even more interesting that there was a, an involvement of the viruses. So, yeah, it is in these families. There is a span from 40-something to about 50-something for that onset. And the question is, could it be that the onset is actually caused by, by the, the viral uh, infection? So I would add also that we suspect that, you know, amyloid that's talked about a lot for Alzheimer's disease, but that's not the only thing that can contribute to Alzheimer's disease. You could get chronic inflammation in the brain that contributes formation of tau, complement activation. You can have problems with your baby neurons, <laughs> not replacing the damaged neurons, uh, the neurogenesis. And so, you know, when we talk about amyloid, that's just one of the things we're focusing on, but there's other aspects of Alzheimer's. And that, you know, as in many diseases, it's not just going to be one thing. This will be in combination with host and other environmental factors that may determine whether this toxic amyloid is cleared efficiently or whether it accumulates, if the inflammation can calm down or not. And so with this familial Alzheimer's patients, they already have that genetic risk where they have more of these proteins that can misfold and form amyloid. And so we believe that this virus exposure will be that trigger to cause this large amount of protein to misfold and form amyloid in this familial group, whereas in normal people, you know, we'll get a virus infection, we're not overexpressors of these proteins, so we tend not to get amyloid unless we have problems clearing it. 
You know, one thing we've talked about a little bit here is the association between the loss of smell and Alzheimer's. So do you see that as a, as a symptom of it, or could it actually be a cause of it? It's unknown right now. And even as a symptom, it would be useful because it's a very early symptom. But the question is out there. Is it actually part of, of memory? What's the link between smell and memory? There's, there's some really interesting papers out there. Even breathing slowly actually makes you think better. And that's actually been shown in, in fMRI. And in some cases, exposure to odors actually allows you to answer questions more quickly. Those are things that are not understood. Uh, but the sense of smell is not just a sense of smell. It's doing something else in the body. In fact, what it does is it entrains the entire brain in these oscillations. And the oscillations are important for cognition. Maybe this is a question from Maria, too. So just clinically, is there any role for a smell test? And could you see a future role for something like that? I think that might be considered other neurologic disorders as well. Huh? It's one of those challenges when you see a virus associated with a disease. The question is also raised, okay, was the virus causative or did the disease predispose that individual to have more virus infections? And so, so I think that, that that's still tricky. But with regards to smell loss, I think that that's a really fascinating field. I mean, we do know, as Diego was mentioning, if uh, with regards to smell and how it provides signals to the brain for the brain to stay healthy, that there has been some experiments where um, and maybe you could describe then the results. Very, very, very early on. It was like 40 years ago they did that. And in that case, what they found was depression. In fact, one of the models of depression is actually taking, cutting the uh, tract from the olfactory bulb to the rest of the brain. So it's really not well understood what, what the link is between olfaction and other uh, disorders. Yeah, and, and isn't there, Diego, um, refresh my memory, was mm -hmm. there some studies about where when they did cut this railroad track, the microglia, which is a certain type of immune cell in the brain, stopped functioning normally? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a change in, in microglia also. And that's those are the cells that pick up the garbage. Let me put it like that. And they're really important for inflammation. And especially if you have amyloid accumulation, and then you don't have that olfactory input, and then your microglia are unable to do the job and clear up this amyloid garbage, you know, you might end up then getting some cognitive changes. And so, you know, that kind of brings our research together because we do know that HSV and VZV infection can cause smell loss. And so then depending on how, you know, again, host and genetic factors, how long that railroad track stays disrupted, that may determine what type of disease in the brain, if any, you would develop. And we actually have some amazing prelim data, right? And also in the human study, we did proteomics with nanostring, and we find that in the areas that are highly myelinated, the proteins that are different are proteins that are involved in demyelination and protection against demyelination which is basically slowing down the railroad track. Yeah. <laughs> Myelination, kind of that coding of the nerve the cells. The coding of the nerve cells the that the allows cell. the communication to be quick, basically. Action potentials to go quickly. And obviously there is a connection between COVID and loss of sense of smell as well. And could you perhaps address that a bit? And also, do you, is it possible that combining the Alzheimer's sense of smell issues COVID sense of smell issues. Can you extrapolate that perhaps 
COVID has a tie as well to onset of dementia in some way? The first way that I found out about loss of smell with SARS-CoV-2 was with a phone call from a cousin of mine. Her son had lost her sense of, the sense of smell in New York. And then it was from emails from, you know, because we have a taste and smell center here. And this is very interesting. It's well known that other viruses do cause loss of the sense of smell, but not as badly as SARS-CoV-2. So the question is what's going on. And yes, we actually have a project where we're studying the infection of the epithelium of that mucus with the SARS-CoV-2. And the question is, why do you lose the sense of smell? It's, it's hard to say. My, my scientific guess from the literature and what we're doing is that very likely that's done on purpose, that you lose the neurons because it's a very strong infection. You do not want the brain to be infected, but that's just a guess right now. And I would say that we're still really early in disease. We need to follow the people that have suffered from smell loss following COVID and, and look at what complications they may or may not develop. In particular, those individuals that have recovered their sense of smell, the railroad track is, is back online, and I wouldn't expect them to have as many issues perhaps as individuals where, that have a permanent Yeah, the most important thing is to look at the long COVID patients uh, and what happens with them. And also the small percent, about 95% record their sense of smell. There's a small percent that actually have parosmia, which is actually they, they smell something fetid. Uh, even when they fetid, take... so kind of just uh, unusual awful. or sour that smell. smells awful. Even when they take some coffee, that triggers it. And then some people do not recover the sense of smell beyond six months. So the question is, what's happening with them? You know, in the popular press, there's a lot of news about loss of smell early on. Just sort of found that. I, I personally had questions, you know, sort of the friends and family and so forth. There seems to be less of it now. So I don't know if we've just become accustomed to it. Or do you think there's less incidence of that with the different variants of the, of the virus? The incidence is still high, so it's, it's not going away. We're more used to it. We still don't have a cure. There's some clinical trials out there. But no, I think we've become accustomed to the fact that that's... Um, even today, I talked to somebody in the lab that had lost a sense of smell. And I would say now that um, the work that Diego and I are continuing to do is to test whether infection of VZV or HSV1 in animals produces smell loss and whether that's associated with cognitive impairment. And then ultimately, it would be amazing if we can test whether an antiviral agent can actually decrease the risk of these animals infected up the nose, um, decrease the risk of developing cognitive impairment, because then that would translate to us. Um, and, you know, for individuals that might be at risk for Alzheimer's disease, like familial Alzheimer's disease individuals, or those that might start having early memory problems, then this, you know, our research may have a place for looking for potential virus infections and maybe treating with antiviral therapies uh, to slow progression if our hypothesis mm -hmm. holds true that these viruses can accelerate Alzheimer's disease. Right. So we think of this whole story, right, going from the initial idea, the meeting, the basic science concepts, working with some different models of disease, getting some samples, bringing it together. Just to kind of summarize, I think what I understand you, you said is that we'd like to maybe see this go as using antivirals, drugs, just like antibiotics, but antivirals can stand for us as a way to sort of reduce the chances of developing or, or having progression of Alzheimer's. That's where you'd like to see this go. 
or could see it going. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and there and there's actually some great support from this by other researchers. Um, there's multiple epidemiological studies where um, uh, people have found that when you have a, a HSV or a VZV infection, you're at a higher risk for developing dementia, and that antiviral therapies appear to reduce the risk of developing dementia. And those antivirals are like a cyclovir, valacyclovir and famacyclovir. Now, there's still some papers that are, you know, they have opposite findings where they say, oh, yeah, HSV-1 is associated with cognition changes, but not dementia. Yet, the antiviral therapy still decreases the risk of dementia. So we, we actually think that there will be a role for this in the future. And the National Institute of Health has actually funded a study uh, looking at the effects of these antivirals with regards to dementia. Obviously, Alzheimer's is exploding. I can't remember what the estimated number of Americans that's forecast to get Alzheimer's in the next 20 years. It's a huge so number. One out of nine, 65 years or older. And it's going to mushroom because of the aging population. Exactly. So I'm, I'm just curious on a personal level, how satisfying for the two of you to be making headway down this road of research you're doing now. And we hope that this is a, you know, a new direction, I think, for the field. I mean, if if you think about the whole Alzheimer's research mm-hmm. field in general, people have been focused on amyloid and screening for drugs that will dissolve amyloid. What we're investigating is whether, okay, well, aside from amyloid, well, what can be the triggers for that and what other things can trigger the other changes that are seen in Alzheimer's, not just amyloid, but like neuroinflammation, for instance. And if we can actually find the trigger for the formation of amyloid and accumulation or one of the potential triggers, then if we stop that trigger, can we slow down disease? Yeah, and importantly, do it early on. Yeah. Because beyond a certain point, you cannot recover. There's a lot of loss of neurons. So this has to be done early on. Wow, what a, what a great conversation today. And I get, I get to think the arc of the story here, and we're not quite, the arc is not, you know, sort of landed yet, but seeing where that's going to land is really exciting. You know, during this horrible pandemic, there's been this engagement from the general public in science and viruses, honestly, then these symptoms such as loss of smell. So in the, in the midst of this horrible pandemic, there's been this engagement in science. And I think the way you're able to tie together these, these changes that we see with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and loss of smell and translating that to other very important human illnesses and diseases is really uh, inspiring to hear. So thank you for sharing that story today. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. CU Anschutz 360 is produced by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Story editing and production by Chris Casey and Matt Hastings. Digital design by Sarah Adams. Thanks to the rest of the Office of Communications team for support and edits. Special thanks to Denver band Split Step for our theme music, featuring School of Medicine student Matt Collip, Class of 22, Daniel Carrillo, Kevin McKinnon. We'd also like to thank our guests this week, Dr. Diego Restrepo and Dr. Maria Nagel. And thanks to Dr. Thomas Flagg for co-hosting. You can read about the latest stories on our campus at news.cuanschutz.edu. This is CU Anschutz 360.